today we're going to study on boundaries, and this is going to be probably a four or five part series. It's such a big topic and it's such an important topic, and I just don't want to rush. So I, I actually today have 25 pages of notes, and I may give me the sign if I need to um, cut it off. So because uh, I want to be able to pray over you guys at the end. Okay, let me start us in prayer. Holy Spirit. You are present with us right now. Father God, I'm so thankful for your presence. I thank you, Father God, that you have promised that you are the perfect, divine, and powerful counselor. And Lord God, we call on you today um, to teach us your ways, Father God, to counsel us in this area of relationships and boundaries. Father God, you are love, and Father, you're... um, you have, you have the perfect balance, um, and, and you wrote the manual on how to have good relationships and how to do this right. And so, Holy Spirit, we call on you today through the power of prayer. Father, anoint my word. Lord, may every ear that hear gain wisdom, gain health in their relationships. Father God, gain power, Father God. Um, and, and Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your presence. Thank you for your guidance. I pray, Father God, not an added word or a missing word. I pray, Holy Spirit, that I would be a conduit and you would remove me out of the way and you would speak and teach us today, Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Okay, so what's, what's interesting is I taught on this five years ago. And, um, and by the way, I have to stand when I teach. It's so funny. So, I'm, you know, those who are new... I cannot, last week I tried again to sit and teach, and I'm just like, forget this, I can't do it, I had to stand up. So anyway, I don't know what it is, but I just have to stand when I teach. Um, Okay, so anyway, I did this five years ago, and what's interesting is I wasn't sure how long ago it was, and I went back and looked. It was five years ago, January. So it's very interesting, it's exactly five years later, and, you know, it was for um, Bible Girls 1.0, which is now Spirit Arising, so I have another ministry that I do, and um, I just noticed in the law, and that, that is uh, all over the United States. We're, we represent every time zone in the United States. We're all over. So, um, and I was, as I was counseling, I would teach over the phone. As I was counseling, I was like, my goodness, this is very confusing how to do this right. And I knew how I had struggled. I, I, this has probably been the, the difficult area of my life to figure out how to balance. Um, you know, I, I, I felt like, God calls us to love, and, I, and that was a, I wanted to love so well. And, and usually our strength is our weakness, and I, I literally have very few strengths, and I'm not, like, being modest. I really don't have hardly any strengths at all. My husband's very talented. My daughter's very talented. My parents are talented. But, but I have one, really, one strength, and it is love. But always our strength is our weakness. And I just did not know how to balance this love that I had for people and, and yeah, I found myself in my 30s, and I was just roadkill. I was being run over. And I'm like, is this God's plan for me? Is this, is this what loving people look like where I'm just getting wrecked? And I just didn't know, you know, what, how this, what, what's the godly way? And so I went on a journey, and, um, you know, I think I'm still on a journey. And it's interesting, I was just tested in this, um, again, in a very painful way this past week which I'll probably tell you about at some point in this thing. And I was like, okay, well, this is a bit, it was a big, big test. And, you know, I'm like, okay, I do see how much I've grown. 
and we do continue to grow in this area. So, you know, I want to talk about this, um, and, you know, I want to preface it because there's a weird dynamic that happens, um, and I've observed it over time, and the, and the dynamic is a lot of times we talk about boundaries. Um, the first thing we tend to do as humans is picture this person, this boundaryless person. I wrote down some characteristics. Um, high entitlement, but low gratitude. Always making withdrawals from my lives, but rarely making deposits. Uh, whatever you're dealing with, um, when they're dealing with a problem, it's the most important thing in the whole wide world, and their problem is everybody else's crisis, but if you know, you're going through something, they're never going to pick up that phone. You know, um, people who talk all the time but never listen. Um, people who are always excusing their own issues but looking at everybody else under a microscope. You know, all these areas where, you know, we, I mean, there's, there's, the, the list goes on and on. So a lot of times when we start talking about boundaries, <clears throat> we can very easily put one of two hats on. One is the self-righteous hat where all we can think about is this person who's driving us crazy and we're like, great, we're going to finally deal with this person, you know. The other hat is the victim hat, and that is like, you know, I just love so well and I'm so good and the world just beats me up. And so, you know, we're usually – so I say so often the devil's in the ditches. That is – I preach that in almost every sermon that literally – my other ministry has made up a bumper sticker. They have bumper stickers that say the devil's in the ditches. And the devil is in the ditches of boundaries just like everything else. So these are the two ditches, right? Kind of like that self-righteous, you know, we're not approaching boundaries with humility. We're kind of pr- approaching them either as a victim, like poor me, and, you know, I'm just this victim of the world, and it, the world is so cruel and mean to me. Or, like, I'm, you know, like, I'm looking down my nose at all these bad, boundaryless people. And, you know, the, fir- the first thing is, unless we are Jesus Christ himself, we have been that boundaryless person to somebody somewhere else in our life. I mean, every single one of us has been this to somebody else. You know, every single one of us have either in- unintentionally or even intentionally, which is painful to think of ourselves, hurt somebody, taken advantage of somebody, made it all about us, been the center of our own universe, you know. And so, and so, you know, this whole talk today is really an introduction, but I want to set the tone of, like, what, when we're dealing with boundaries, like, you know, what's our tone? What's our heart towards it? You know, and we, we and, and what I'm, the big part, a big thing that I pray that through the course of this, this, this series is I take away the victimhood of it because a lot of times when we are living well, there is some some of that stuff going on. And so I want to remove that permanently, but I also want to make sure we're not slipping into this kind of prideful, puffed up, you're not going to do this to me, you know, like the arrogance of that, because that's not godly either. So we have to have this right tone and, um, you know, right balance. So, you know, here, okay, so here's the struggle. Everything about the Bible is love. Everything about God is love. God is love. And we hear all these definitions of love. So we're trying to live as godly, loving people. I mean, the whole point is that we're not people who don't care. Uh, if you have problems with boundaries, it's because you care a lot and you don't know how to set them. You care so much that you honestly don't know how to have a proper um, <clears throat> place of protection. So, so how, where, where is that balance um, of loving the way God says to love? 
So I want to start, there's so many scriptures on love. You guys know, I mean, the book is full of it. From Genesis to Revelation, it's all about love. So I just picked, I mean, I just picked one. I'll pick more in the future. But I started with this one, and it's the first one on your page, because I want you guys to be able to read it for yourselves. But it says, finally, all of you be like-minded, united in spirit. And that right there can be like already like how do you even, you know, some of us are like, you know, we think of our husband, right? And we're like, or, you know, our kid or our whatever. And you're just like, I can't even be united with that person. Mm. Sorry, I'm thirsty today. Um, <clears throat> we'll, we'll touch on all that. Just give, just give me a chance to get through this series. Sympathetic, <clears throat> brotherly, kind-hearted, courteous, compassionate towards each other as members of one household, meaning the household of Christ. Humble in spirit, never returning evil for evil or insult for insult, um, <clears throat> which right there, that can sound pretty much like roadkill, right? Like how are we supposed to stand up for ourselves? <clears throat> but on the contrary, give a blessing and pray for one another's well-being, contentment, and protection. For you have been called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing from God that brings well-being, happiness, and protection so first of all, saying that when we love like that, it, it leads to our own protection and well-being. The one who wants to enjoy life and see good days <clears throat> must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking guile, which, by the way, I did not put those capitals in there. That's just straight from the Bible. He must turn away from wickedness and do what is right. He must search for peace, peace with God, peace with himself, peace with others, and pursue it eagerly actively, not just desiring it. It's easy to say we desire peace, but we're not really willing to do the hard stuff. For the eyes of the Lord are looking favorably upon the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayers. He's eager to answer. But the face of the Lord is against those who practice evil. So, you know, here, like you hear what you're, how you're supposed to interact with others, and you're just like, how am I supposed to do that and not just get run over? I don't understand the balance. I don't understand the boundaries. Are there no parameters? So <clears throat> the premise of the Bible from Old Testament to New Testament, and you guys know this, is that we are to love others as we love ourselves. I could have given you 5,000 scriptures on this, but, you know, Mark 12, 31, love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Leviticus 19:18, love your neighbor as yourself. I put one on your paper there. Mark 12, 29 through 31, <clears throat> Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. Listen, he says, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. The second is equally important. My goodness, it's equally as important to loving God. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. Okay, so this is, this is our struggle right here, right? Because this is our command, and this is our faith, and this is the bedrock of our faith. There's nothing you know, we are, it says it's as important, it's an equal commandment to love people the way we love ourselves and to love God. And so how are we going to love that way and not get wrecked in this life? And, and I can tell you, in my 30s, I was not doing this successfully. I was so burned out and so used up and so exhausted and so wounded and hurt. I mean, I was hurt. My heart was broken. Because I'm trying to love the way the Bible says to love, and I'm getting wrecked. And I'm like, God, is this your best for me? Is this honestly what you want? You want these people to just be able to wreck my life? I mean, because that's what's happening. I mean, really, I was just exhausted because I was trying to follow this. 
Um, and, and I'm like, are, are there just no parameters? You know, is it just, there's just no real guideline. There's no, no, no structure, no boundaries, no parameters. You just love and, you know, no, don't return evil for evil and just return every evil for good. And, you know, and, um, I had, I had an employee at the time. I've owned several various businesses and, you know, my husband and I had tried to help him a whole lot. And this guy, you know, we were taking him to church. We were bringing him to holidays. We were like doing all this stuff. And I mean, he just became, it's because it's like he saw himself because I was serving. He saw my kindness as weakness. And so he just became very abusive and entitled and whatever else. And I thought, well, I can turn the other cheek. You know, I could take this. I could, I mean, in the end, he ended up robbing us and, you know, robbing our home and, you know, scooting out the door. Um, and so I was just like, so I'm like, something's not right here. You know, I'm not the brightest bulb, but something's not right. And as I began to study and as I began to search and as I started crying out to God, the Lord, the, the dim flicker of truth started to blink in my mind like, uh, Stephanie, okay, let's go back and examine the scripture again, the very scripture I just quoted. Love your neighbor as yourself. How do I love myself? How do I love myself? I love myself, first of all, the best way I can love me, the very best way, there's no better way in the world for me to love me than to honor God and to follow the scriptures. That is the way to life. It's the way to peace. It's the way to love. It's the way to happiness. It is the best way in the whole world to love myself. It's the kindest thing I can ever do for me is follow this book. That's how, honestly, that's the best way I take care of myself. I do other things. I try to eat right. I try to exercise. I try, but nothing is as helpful as following the word of God. So I was like, okay, I love me by following the scriptures. And the scriptures have parameters all over them. Um, I, I'm going to talk about uh, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. You have that on there. And so when we follow the scriptures, it says that the Holy Spirit gives us characteristics. And these are characteristics that we are to have in our lives. It says, um, produce this kind of fruit in your, in your lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the ways we're supposed to live. Okay, so I'm not allowed to just give myself full vent to my anger. I'm not allowed to just give myself full vent to being unkind, to saying whatever I want to say, to doing whatever I want to do. You know, he says, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not, you know, he has parameters that I'm supposed to live by. And those parameters bring blessing to my life. So when I don't give full vent to my anger, that's a parameter that God has for me. And that's a good, that's the best way I can possibly love myself is to honor that. Then for me to love others is to hold them to the same parameters that I hold myself to. And that's the most loving thing for me, which means it's the most loving thing for them. Because when you let somebody give full vent to their crazy, God bless you. When you give somebody, let them have full vent to their crazy, they're destroying their own selves. Don't you know what anger does in somebody else's life? It, it ruins every relationship. It ruins jobs. It ruins, but we uh, think that loving is saying, oh, it's okay. I forgive you. Turn the other cheek. We're, we're confused about how, what it means to love somebody the way we love ourselves. 
The way we love ourselves is to say, Stephanie, you can't do that. My husband just uh, the other night, Fanny and um, Fanny and I vet Maria, Dr. P. If anybody needs a vet, she's the most amazing vet. Just a little plug. Anyway, she's a beautiful Christian woman, and they came over for dinner the other night, and um, we had I was working and busy, so Dave went and picked up faux for us. I, do you guys know that I love faux over there? He went and picked that up. So he's it's there's no it's a three lane street to get there. And there's nobody on the road, just Dave, three lanes. And this car gets right behind him on his tail and is pushing him down the road and, like, being really obnoxious. He pulls into the restaurant, and um, these guys get out. They follow him in, and they get out of the car. And they're like, you need to learn how to drive. They're like young punk kids, you know. He's like, and Dave, so what's, what's interesting about my husband, you would not know it if you know him now, but when he was in college, so he was an athlete his whole life, and when he was in college, he was a wrestler, and all he did, his pastime, his fun was fighting. He had serious anger problems, and he would, every single weekend, he would fight. Now, I did not know him in college, but, but he literally, and he had pictures of all, he would feel their shoes after he would fight with it. He, the wrestlers would fight the football players like every weekend. It was like grease or something, you know, they'd beat on the thing. <laughs> And he has all these tennis shoes, and he has pictures of them, how proud he is because he beat him up and stole his shoes. I don't even understand the mentality. And actually, even when I met him, he was working for a senator. And when I met him, his knuckles were all scratched up because he had just been in a fight the weekend before. And I remember saying to him, this is not going to fly. I don't do that. I don't roll this way. And he never has been in another fight. For, you know, we've been together 23 years. So, you know, never, that was the end of it. But... Jesus changed him. He didn't have Jesus. He didn't, even, he didn't even know about Jesus. He didn't know who he was. So anyway, he knew nothing about it. But anyway, Jesus changed him. But his mentality is a fighter. So these punk kids pull in, and he's, he's, I mean, he's, a, he's a tough guy. He, you wouldn't know it, but he, he had a gun pulled on him once. He was, he was driving to a fundraiser. He had his parents in the car. And these, again, these guys dro- drove him off the road. He got off the road. They pulled a gun on his head. He grabbed the gun from him and wrestled into the ground and called the police and held him there. I mean, he, had, he got robbed one time. He chased the robber down, beat him up, got his stuff back. He's just a wild man. You would never guess he's a wild man or James. But the point is, but the point is he, he's like, I can take him. I know I can take him. I'm middle-aged and fat now, but I know I can still take him, you know. So anyway, he was like, I got this, you know. He's like, Ray roll. And he's like, he said he was standing there like it's this internal struggle, like, ah. And, and you guys know, or if you haven't been in this Bible study, but everybody else knows, we've been going through a very, very difficult time. And it's been very hard. And you know when you go through one of those hard times, sometimes it just feels good to rumble. So he was like, I've been waiting for this. And he's standing there, and he's like, I'm so glad you got out of your car. Like, he's just ready to regress back. And then the Holy Spirit took over. And he says, you're right. I do need to learn how to drive. I'll work on that. And went in the restaurant. And I was like, oh, like, oh my God. And I said to him, I'm like, you're my hero. Like, you're a superstar. I don't think I could have been that humble. I don't think I could have been that gracious. I don't think I'm there yet. I think he has surpassed me. But, um, you know, and, and so, but I think to myself, how much different did that scenario turn out? Like, what if he would have given in to his baser instinct? These guys could have had guns. I'm sure they were high on drugs. You know, I mean, anything could have happened. But so loving himself is honoring God, which kept him safe. And so these parameters are really important. So 
you know, first of all, understanding that loving others the way we love ourselves is holding them to the same standard we hold ourselves to, and what we hold ourselves to is God's parameters. Um, it's a different way to look at it. The next way it tells us to love people in Bible is the way God loves people. So how does God love people? We are going to really study this because this is really important. Um, I, put in, um, I put in James 4, 8 through 10. We're going to see how does God set up his relationship with us? How, what are, does he have boundaries with us at all or does he have no boundaries? Does he, what does it look like? So here, here's what it looks like. He is perfect love. There is no more perfect love than God. There is no more perfect way to set up a relationship than the way God sets it up. So how does he set it up? He says, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep, deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up to honor. Sounds to me like he's got a boundary or two. So let's just break it down a little bit. First he says, come close to God and God will come close to you. One thing that's important to, to understand, God is always there for us no matter what we've done, no matter what we do. But he says, you have to come to me. Interestingly enough, he's not saying I'm chasing after you. He's saying, you want me? Come on. I'm right here. I'm right here waiting. You come, clo- you come on. And, and sometimes we act so desperate. We're chasing stuff down. We're never supposed to be chasing down. Like, why are you chasing that down? If, 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 if it's meant for you, then wait there and see if it comes to you. We shouldn't be chasing it down. Um, <clears throat> he's not needy and he's not desperate, the Lord. Um, next thing it says, <clears throat> purify your heart for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and grief. I mean, so what's he saying? He's saying, uh, I have standards to my relationships. You can't just come barging on in here with all your hot mess and I'll forgive it, but you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to genuinely be sorry. You're going to have to um, wash up, clean up, and walk straight and do right by me. God says to us, you have to do right by me. You can't just act any way you want to and be in close relationship with me. I mean, look at this. There's, there's no denying it. And he also says, by the way, you were disloyal to me. You were disloyal to me, and that's not okay. You can't be in love with the world and in love with me. You're going to have to choose. You can't be disloyal to me. You can't treat me any way you want. He was like, if you want a relationship with me, I will welcome you. Come right here. And he says, he says we come to him. He's like, I'm not going to, you know, sometimes we have this false illusion that love is wallowing in the mud with whatever disgusting thing is going on and that's what love looks like and that's not what god does at all he says you come up to the light i'm offering you pure perfect good love and i will if you will accept it and you will come out of that darkness and you will come into the light i will be right here waiting for you and i will never reject you but i do have some standards and if you want to come here and you want to be close to me you're going to have to repent you have to be sorry you cannot be divided. You can't have divided loyalties. You can't love both the world and me. You have to be in a committed relationship. You've got to be committed. You can't be, I mean, 
you know, sometimes we just allow horrible chaos, thinking that we're allowing love. It's not love at all. Um, and, and by the way, he says, to, he says he wants us to have gloom and sorrow. We just read the fruit of the Spirit is joy, one of the very first things. So how does that work? How does God's perfect love lead to gloom and joy, how, I mean gloom and sorrow and then joy? How does all that work together? The way it all works together is uh, when we are in our sin or when somebody else is in their sin towards us, it creates misery. Sin leads to death. Righteousness leads to peace and love. If they are committed to their, their sinful ways towards us, in their, then we cannot coexist with it because God won't coexist with it. We have to say, if you want this relationship, I want it too. But you are, these are the standards, and you are going to have to, you know, joy comes when the relationship is restored because the person in the wrong has made it right. And that's when the joy comes. But the joy does not come. We do not offer that, that peace and that joy to them in relationship with us as long as they're behaving in that manner. Um, God won't coexist with it, and neither should we. Why are we coexisting with something that God himself wouldn't? God says, I'm not going to be in a relationship where I coexist with this kind of crazy. But then he says, if you will do this, and I love this because this is who our God is, he says, humble yourself before God, which, by the way, for a person to come and truly humble themselves, that's the only way to restore the relationship. So, but when they truly come and humble themselves, then he says, um, he says, I'm going to lift you up. I'm going to honor you. I'm going to wash it away. He says, I'll never hold your sin against you. I'll forget it as far as the east is from the west. I'll never use it against you. I'll never, I'll never make you feel bad. I'll never bring to remembrance the stuff you did in the past. You know, and so that's another part of the boundary is being like God. It says he forgives us as far as the east is from the west. He will never hold it against us. Um, you know, but, but, the, but since we're talking about boundaries, he does not honor us indiscriminately. He discriminates who he honors and how. So, um, you know, he does it with requirements, and so should we. So should we. If that's how he sets up his relationship, so should we. Um, so um, another one that I want to discuss, uh, this is a really important point, and this is a big one. So, all, okay, so, so we've established, okay, so the first thing that we have to establish is what does love look like, and then therefore what do boundaries look like. Okay, so now we've moved into okay, I understand what love looks like. I understand what boundaries look like. So now I'm going to try to set them up, right? I'm going to try to say this is not okay, this is not right, and I'm not going to exist. I'm not going to coexist with this. Um, and let me tell you right here, right now, what 99.9% of the time you're going to hear is you're like, okay, I need to set a godly standard in my relationships, and 99.9% of the time you're going to hear you're judging me. That is the famous favorite lie and I'm going to tell you it's from the pit of hell pit of hell and that 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 statement you're judging me has has silenced the mouths of so many good people and allowed chaos and evil to ruin and reign in their lives and so now I want to speak to this lie from the pit of hell and they're basing that on um I gave it to you, Matthew 7, 1 through 6. And this is so important. We're going to read every single word. 
So this is what they're, they're, they're basing it on. Um, so you go to try to set a standard, uh, and this is what they're going to say. You're judging me. And this is the only scripture that it talks about. So let's read it. Do not judge or you will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under the feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Okay, I'm going to break this down because this is so important. Because this is the way you will be manipulated and held in dysfunctional relationships right here. This is key. So what is this talking about? I'm going to first of all tell you what it's not talking about. What this is not talking about is assessing behavior. Judging is not assessing behavior that this is referring to. It's not talking about assessing behavior and saying this is not right or this is wrong. That is not what that means at all. And, that, and that's what, when someone's trying to manipulate you and say, you know, you're judging me, uh, you know, they're trying to say don't assess my behavior. Um, what this is talking about um, is being a hypocrite. It's saying, and, and it, as you read it over, it's saying, how can you judge somebody else for something that you yourself are currently doing? It's not saying don't judge anybody. It's saying you're being, it's talking about people who are hypocrites. We all hate a hypocrite. Um, we, we, you know, I love this scripture because, um, you know, there are a lot of double standards with men and women. I think we've all seen that in different times of history. And this is, I think this is the most protective scripture in the Bible for women. Because so often men would be like, it's okay for me, but women can't act like this, blah, blah, blah. And this is like, don't be a hypocrite. You need to do what you practice, what you preach. Don't be, don't be hyper-examining other people and not looking at yourself. Um, but what it's talking about is somebody with maligning motive. It's talking about being a slanderer. Um, uh, but it is not talking about assessing uh, uh, assessing behavior. Uh, I, I kind of want to read a little bit what I wrote because I was very thoughtful about some of this. Um, God over and over again in Scripture tells us to look at the fruit in people's lives, in our own lives. As a matter of fact, God says that the way he judges us, which by the way, he does judge us, and he calls himself the just judge. He is a judge, and this is how he operates. He says, I look at the fruit of a person's life and he tells us you need to look at the fruit of somebody's life he says if if," he says don't believe what they say and don't even believe what they do because people can pretend in front of you he says look at the fruit look at the outcome of their life you know there's in the scripture talks a lot about the fact that there are a lot of um, wolves and sheep's clothing in the in the church because if you, were, if you were Satan and you wanted to screw people up, you would, you would jump in the church and make the church look bad. So he constantly tells us there are wolves and sheep clothing in the church. You've got to watch out. And how does he tell us to watch out? Look at their fruit. Examine their fruit. Judge their fruit. So he wants us, he, he tells us, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. It's our job to guard our own heart. We guard our heart. So how do we guard our heart? By assessing behavior. That's not being judgmental. This is strictly and completely talking about um, 
I'm trying to get my papers here, uh, talking about being a hypocrite. So, so hold on, let me get my notes here. Um, they're sticking. <clears throat> this has to get cleared up because as long as we are afraid, do you know how many people in the church stay stuck in very toxic situations because they're afraid to be someone to say you're judging me? I think you're kind of judgy. You know what's interesting? Labels, labels are from the pit of hell. And I learned this in college. It's interesting. In college, I was in a sorority in college. I love college. I had great, great years in college. But I figured out about guys in college. I'm like, oh, there's a label for every woman. You're a prude, you're a tease, or you're a slut. So what's your label? So I was like, I'm going to wear my label with pride. I'm going to put it on my name tag. So I was like, I think I'll go with prude. <laughs> and I'm, yep, that's me. You know, I'm like, I was good with it. I was good with it. I'm like, you're going to pick one. Why not? Because it's a way to manipulate you. That's a manipulation. I'm like, you're not going to manipulate me with some label. And judgy and judging is a manipulation to, for a toxic person to be able to stay in their horrible behavior and get to use you the whole way through it. So I, you know, I do the same thing with judging. I'm like, yes, absolutely right. I own that because God tells me to. So I'm good with it because I follow his ways. He says to assess behavior. He says to look at fruit. So I'm going to be doing that. If you want to label that judging, if you want to label me a prude, I'm okay with it because I'm just going to follow this scripture. It's always it's always done right by me. I have a feeling you probably won't, you know. The word is always done right for me. There's a good chance you won't. So I'm going to follow this, this, this book. So, you know, we, we have to understand that when we go to set a standard, it's not being judgmental. It's being healthy. Um, and what's interesting is, um, and of course, we cannot be a hypocrite. I mean, obviously. We cannot be a hypocrite. We can't be doing the same thing. You, you know, you can't be screaming and yelling at your husband and then mad that he screams and yells at you. You know, you can't hold him to that standard if that's what we're doing. You know, so we have to live in truth, you know. And if we are, let's say, yelling and screaming at your husband, because unfortunately I have uh, Irish temper and this has been something I have a lot of, uh, I, have to go to him for, I have to go to him first and say, I'm so sorry. And also, it's not okay for you to do it either. I've also learned that. I used to just say, I'm so sorry, but then not hold him to it. Um, you know, interestingly enough, I learned something um, 15 years into the relationship. Took, I'm a little bit of a slow learner. But I learned any time I lose my temper, I lose the fight. I, because I always have to go back and apologize. Because if I'm going to be right with God, I have to make it right with him. And so I was like, I end up apologizing. And a lot of times, I'm right for what I'm standing for. But because I did it in the wrong way and I'm screaming and I'm yelling and I'm turning in the Tasmanian devil, I have now lost the ability to make my stand. I weakened my position. So I've learned to be like, Steph, you can, you can give in to all that crazy that you got going on up in here because it's super crazy up here. I'm like, I could do that. But if I do, I forfeit every point I need to make right now. So, but if I can stay calm, then I can, I can at least be in the right with God and God will be my defender, and God will deal with it, and I walk away clean. You know, so, okay, so, anyway, um, but one thing, and this is a bit of a side note, but it is talking about, what, what it is talking about being judgy is a hypercritical person. 
And what I have found, because I've done a lot of counseling, is what I've found is people who are hypercritical are usually hypocritical. People who are examining everybody underneath a magnifying glass, it's usually because they're big, fat hypocrites. It's usually because they're trying to divert attention away from themselves and talk about everybody else as how awful they are because they know in their own soul what, what they are and they're not really dealing with this. They're not letting Jesus change them. And so they want to focus on everybody else's stuff so that they don't have to deal. So it is talking about a hypercritical person. That's what that scripture is talking about. Um, and so we, we, we are to get the hypocritical plank out of our eyes, you know. But here's the interesting part. What does it say? Even if you had the hypocritical plank in your own eye, does it say, well, then you're, you're so screwed up, then just walk away and take the bad relationship. No, it says deal with yourself, then go back, and guess what it says to do? Judge the situation, assess the behavior, take the speck out of their eye. Even still, it doesn't say walk away and allow that crazy to continue on. It doesn't say that at all. It says first deal with yourself, then go, you still go back and deal with it. You still go back and hold a standard. You still go back and say this is not okay, even if you have messed it up, which is what I was saying I've learned with my husband. I've learned to say I shouldn't have done it, but also this is still wrong. So, you know, it, it's, and, and, and look at the end of the scripture, and it breaks my heart because I just, um, it breaks my heart because I live this so much, it hurts me. And, of course, I have such a heart for women. I mean, this ministry is for women and men, but I see so many women getting eaten alive because they don't understand that they get eaten alive. And I, I, I know it because I lived it for 30 years because they don't even see the end of the scripture. For some reason, the first words of the scripture in neon lights, and by the time you would get to the end of the scripture, we, don't even, we completely ignore it. What does the end of the scripture say? After it says to take the plank out of your own eye and to get the speck out of the brother's eye, if you go back and look, the last verse says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and tear, turn and tear you to pieces. What is that saying? That is saying, stop giving your sacred self away, your sacred love away. It says if you keep giving it away like that and not having any boundaries and not having any standards, they're going to tear you to shreds. Um, there's a saying, let's see where, okay, it's, oh, where did I write that down? I, I never follow my, my notes. Um, anyway, so it says it's going to tear you to shreds. Um, and so, and I think that probably everybody in this room has lived this at some point, where they're giving their sacred pearls, and God calls them pigs and dogs. That's pretty strong language. He's like, stop giving it away. Stop giving it away for free. Um, and, and so many of us are staying in these unhealthy things because we don't want someone to think we're judging them. I think you need to be like, yes, if you, when you turn it around, say, when you say I'm judging do you mean I'm assessing bad behavior or assessing behavior? Then yes, I am. And I, you know, it takes the power away. We can't keep giving it away. It's unhealthy. It's ungodly. And it's not what God does. Um, <clears throat> I wish I could find that. I, there was a statement I, I wrote, and I don't know what I did with it. I've got it somewhere in my, pa- in my papers. Well, I wanted, it says something like, if you give too much away, or yeah, if you give too much away, the person will fall in love with your hand instead of your heart. 
So you've got to stop giving so much away and let them love your heart, not your hand. Um, biggest mistake, I've just made this mistake over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Um, <clears throat> so what are we supposed to do? So now we set the standard, okay? So now we're like, okay, here's the standard. We understand that God tells us we are allowed to set standards. We understand that, that assessing behavior and setting standards is not judgy. It's healthy, and it's godly, and God does it, and we're supposed to do it. Hmm. So then what do you do if someone is so committed to their dysfunction? They're just, you know, you know you've got a, an adult child. You've got a... Just fill in the blank. So many examples. And they are committed to this path. So let's ask ourselves once again, what does God do? So I put on there James 4, 7. It says, and I've got a lot of great examples for this, so um, hang on. But James 4, 7, it tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So what does God do with us? How does he tell us we're supposed to deal with our own stuff? He says, Stephanie... You resist the devil, and then my power will back you up, and he'll have to flee. But what does he say? He says, you do it. He doesn't say, I'm going to do it for you. God does not say, I'm going to resist the devil for you. God says, you resist the devil, and then he will flee. He says, you do your bit, and when you do your bit, kind of like come near to me, and I'll come near to you, God keeps telling us, you're going to have to do your part. And then when you do, I will back you up with all the forces of heaven. And I will send that, that devil running. But I won't send the devil running until you do your part. You do your little bit first, and I'll do the rest. Um, <clears throat> and what we often try to do with dysfunctional people who we really love is we try to go in there and resist the devil for them. We try to resist the devil for them. And it is, you know, you cannot change a person that doesn't want to change. You cannot resist the devil for somebody who doesn't want to resist him. You can't do it for them. Even God himself will not resist the devil for us. So <clears throat> some of us need to stop trying to be God and go around resisting the devil for every single person in the world. Because what that is, it is, I tell you what, I honestly believe it is a demonic hamster wheel to wear out the righteous. You will be so busy running around that wheel trying to resist the devil for somebody else, and God's never going to honor it, and, they're ne- and the person you're trying to resist the, resist the devil for is never going to honor it, and you are going to be exhausted, and the real calling on your life, you're not going to have any energy to fulfill because you are so busy trying to resist the devil for that person. Um, <clears throat> you know, God says, you don't like the mess the devil's making of your life? I agree with you, Steph. Now you go resist, and I'll help you clean it up. And that's what we have to do with people. We have to say, you go do what you're supposed to do, and I'll be there to help you. But I can't get in there and do this for you. Um, So um, there's a parable, and you know the Lord told lots of parables to give you examples of what it is, what it's supposed to be. Lisa's giving me the big eyes. She's like, (laughs) yeah, this is a good one, huh? So here's the parable. All right, you guys probably all know this parable because it's been in Sunday school, you know, our whole lives. So there's two men, they build a house. And you guys know one built his house on the the strong foundation and one built his house on sand with no foundation. Interestingly enough, Lynn Boston is supposed to be here, but she couldn't be here today. 
But Lynn bought, so we, we uh, took his house, gutted it, and put three additions on it. And I, we didn't know anybody. We weren't living here yet. And this slab for this room that we're sitting in, it was raining and pouring. And there was a big, huge mud pit out here. And Dave and I are sitting there staring at this slab because it took months to get this crazy little slab in. I can't even tell you the drama we went through. And we were like, hallelujah, you know, like this amazing, like this is the most beautiful piece of cement in the world to us. And it just took forever to get it in. And Lynn comes riding up in her bicycle. She was like all pretty and, you know, done. And we're like, you know, in the mud and, you know, you know what it's like when you're in construction. And she's like, you know, introducing herself. She's so sweet. I can't, she's just lovely. Um, and she's like, I said, she said, oh, you're the new owner. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, we finally have our foundation. She's like, well, when are you supposed to be doing? We were like, October. She's like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen. We were like, you don't think? I mean, it was like six or eight months later. I mean, she knew. We were still like hopeful, you know, stars in our eyes. But anyway, but this getting this foundation in was horrific. And it put our project back by forever. But the point is, you have to do the work. They had to bring in all kinds of dirt devils and all kinds of diggers, and then it wouldn't dry, and then it, and if it's not drying properly because it's raining, then you can't, I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. Well, if we didn't, lay, if we didn't take the time and we didn't let, let, do the foundation, I can tell you we would not be in this room right now because the floor would have crumbled, the walls would have crumbled, the ceiling would have come in. And so you have to lay the proper foundation, which, of course, in this analogy, the proper foundation represents godly, godly behavior, godly relationships in our lives. So one guy in this story does all the hard work and brings in the dirt devils and does the waiting and lays the right foundation and blah, blah. The other guy's like, I can skip all that. This is easy. I got this. I'm going to just build this up. The house looks great. He's in in a week. And the poor schlep who's doing it right, it takes, well, like me, eight months. You know, it's like, <clears throat> so they both build their house. In the end, both houses look exactly the same from the outside. Both family looks exactly the same from the outside. Everything looks the same. Everybody's finally in their house. You know, the, 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 the people that did the foundation right, they've only been in their house for five minutes. The people who did their foundation wrong, they've been in for like a year. But they're all finally in. And then, of course, the storm comes, right? And it pounds and blah, blah, blah. And the guy without the foundation, it washes him and his whole family away. And the people who laid the right godly foundation, they endure the storm. How does that apply? And, and there's, two, there's actually two points to this story. One is, listen, you've got to be patient because godly living is, takes time and it takes work. Uh, and so, you know, and it's not quick. But, but the point, how does it work? What, what is this saying about boundaries? That's what I want to point out. This is what we're talking about today. Um, uh, and what is it saying about building relationships on godly principles? Um, first of all, I'm going to read what I wrote first. Um, the first thing it says is God lets us choose. He is not a dictator. He lets us pick how we're going to build our house. He lets us pick what it's going to look like. He lets us pick our families. God lets us choose. He lets us create our own life. He lets us build our own house. He gives us free will. He lets us do it the way we want to do it. Um, and we can choose to do the hard work and lay the godly foundation. Um, and it is hard work to build a family on the word of God. It's hard work. It's a lot more time consuming and a lot more exhausting. And especially the older your kids get, the harder it is. Um, sin is quick and easy. Um, it's always easy at the front end. 
but sin is always hard and absolutely devastating on the back end. But on the front end of godliness, um, there's delayed reward, and that's just how it is. Godly living is delayed reward on the front end and great reward on the back end. And so we see that in this, in this story, right? You've got, the, <clears throat> you've got the, the, the thing of the hard work on the front end, but the blessing on the back end and the easy on the front end of sin, but, but devastating on the back end. But then what does God do? The person who doesn't build the foundation and the person who does, what does God do with that? The person who didn't build the fa- doesn't build the foundation, does he say to the person who did, you need to take them in? Does he say they, aren't, they, didn't, they didn't do the work, so now you need to forfeit your house on over to them? No. God, God doesn't jump in and spare that family from the consequences. He says, I'm going to let you, now, you know, I, I'm going to let you enjoy the fruit of your own choices, whatever the, whichever fruit it is. So he doesn't jump in. He doesn't, now one thing we know about the goodness and the love of God is if the, if the family who's going down the rapids, hanging onto a piece of their roof, crawls out, cries out to Jesus and say, Jesus, I, I repent. I'm sorry, we know for a fact that Jesus will swoop in and save that family and redeem them. So that's the good part of this, right? It's not, it's not heartless. But what we're talking about are people-to-people boundaries. Not what God did, but people-to-people. What does he do? We so often can have the mentality that I'm supposed to spare them from these consequences. When in reality, you don't see that anywhere, <clears throat> anywhere in the scripture, <clears throat> You know, if they would have been like, listen, we'll build your foundation for you to that other family, don't worry about it, they would have been sitting there, you know, sipping pina coladas and letting that family wear themselves out to build that foundation for them. And, you know, I mean, you, we all know the type, right? They'll let you do all the work while they sit there with cocktails and their feet up and you're wearing yourself out and you're thinking you're being godly and it's actually not in Scripture anywhere. That's not what God says to do. It's not what he does. Um, you know, I, God does not set up his relationships like that. He just doesn't. It's actually nowhere in the word of God that this is how he sets up his relationship. He doesn't set it up that way. And he actually says that um, enabling people is not loving. It's actually not loving. Um, people need to have the reward. You know, it feels so good when we do the right thing, whether it's, you know, a good workout or something. You want to feel the reward of your own hard work. That's important for a person to feel that, but it's also equally as important for a person to feel the consequences of their own bad behavior. And we deprive them of that. When we're doing it all for them, first of all, we we deprive them of any reward of their own behavior because we're doing it all. We also deprive them of the importance of feeling the consequence of their bad behavior, both of which are very unkind. And we are are sitting there going, I'm so loving, I'm so godly, I'm doing this because I love God. And God's like, that's not in my book. Read it. Sit down and read it. Um, understand what I, how I set up my own relationship. Hmm. So, um, and of course, you know, again, the ditches are, you know, we never are like, not my problem, not my circus, not my monkey. You know, I don't care about you. I don't, you know, you made this bed, you we're not talking about a self-righteous, unkind, cruel heart like that. What we're saying is to be loving and kind is to let them experience the blessing 
or the discipline of their own behavior so they can change and become a whole person. You, you, you make a person unable to become a whole person when you're jumping in and doing this stuff. They can't ever become whole as long as we're doing that. Um, you know, God set up it from the beginning of time that there are supposed to be consequences in bad behavior. There are supposed to be. Why are you fixing it? Why are we fixing it for people? You know, why did I allow that, that guy that worked for me to be so abusive? I thought I was being godly. I wasn't being godly. I was enabling very evil behavior. Um, and I was allowing him to feel comfortable behaving that way because I was giving him the comfort and the privilege of a good relationship with me, even though he was acting like that. So this is how I was tested. Um, on Friday, I was going to prayers and mom, mom's in prayer. And I, you know, now I have a new company. I'm in a whole different state. You know, it's probably 15 years later and I've grown a lot. And I have an employee once again, a man we have brought to every holiday. We have thrown birthday parties for, we have all this stuff. And the, he, he's, I can feel him getting out of balance and I'm putting checks up. Because I know this time we won't be going down that same path. So I'm putting up a check. I put up a check, he gets angry. And I've been seeing it over the course of some days, and I'm like, this isn't good. And I, was, I said to my husband that morning, I think he's about to go over the edge. And I'm heartbroken because I'm going to have to fire him. And he has been like family to us, and I love him. But I've learned I cannot allow abusive, bad behavior. If I do, it only grows. It never stays the same size. It just gets bigger, bigger, bigger. It never stays the same size. So if I allow it and I pull up to mom's in prayer and I'm ready to go in and I, I, love, I love going and I can hardly ever go, so I'm excited to go, and I'm in my car, I'm about to go, and the phone call takes place, and he starts yelling and screaming and going crazy, and I said, you're fired. And I hung up the phone. And I, He's stunned because he knows how much we care and he knows how much we love him and he knows how much we've done for him, and he's in shock. But see, people think that because we're very kind that we will be very weak and they can be abusive and take advantage. And that's not us. I'm sorry. We do have healthy boundaries. And you cannot, you cannot behave in an unhealthy way and stay in a relationship with me. I won't do it anymore. Now, if you really want to repent and you really want to do right, I will forgive you. But when I forgive you, I'm going to tell you something else. I'm going to watch you. I'm going to watch you and be more careful next time. I'm gonna, and God says to forgive 70 times 7. I, I, can I tell you, the minute that happened, the minute I hung up, I, hung up, I had no anger. I had no, um, like, I, he was forgiven immediately. But my relationship with him was not restored, just like God. God's like, I forgive you, but our relationship isn't restored. If you want to restore the relationship, you're going to go back to James 4, and you're going to see the steps you have to take to restore the relationship that I read at the beginning of the, the class. Um, you know, and, and when we don't do this, we allow such ruinous things into our own minds. And then we think we're doing it for God, and we think we're so godly. Um, one thing I've observed is, um, and I could even say this about myself, when I was allowing all of that stuff to go on, and I really felt like I was doing it for God, and I can tell you the truth is, I was motivated by the scriptures. I was basing it on the scriptures. But you know what? There was a darker piece to that in my own soul, and I think in the soul of everybody else who doesn't know how to enforce boundaries. And that was I really wanted them to like me. I really needed their approval 
I really, and I'm like, I need the approval of like random people. Like, why did I need their approval? You know, I don't even know. I don't know. Sometimes, and, and, <clears throat> and so you almost, you, you, you know, you fool yourself into this victim mentality. Like I'm doing this, you know, the world is on my back, but it's not really altruistic. Cause if it was really altruistic, I wouldn't need it back from them. You know, um, I, I didn't want to watch people fail a lot of times because of the way it made me feel. I felt bad when they failed and I couldn't stand the way it made me feel. So I was fixing it and I was telling myself it was for them. But when I really, as, as God began to heal me of this, I started to be like, oh yeah, I'm not as really white as I thought I was, you know, like I needed something from this too. I needed their approval. I needed them not to be mad at me. I needed them. And, and, and I'll get into this a whole lot more over this, but you know, we need to also kind of look at that. How often do we allow people to stay in really dysfunctional situations that we can clearly see and we could speak into, but we don't speak into it because we don't want them to be mad at us. And it's really about us. And we're really being really selfish. Because a true loving friend, the Bible says that wounds from a friend can be trusted, but kisses from enemies are death. Your enemy will kiss you. Your friend will call you on it. And if they're really your friend, they'll love you enough to say, hey, you're probably not seeing this, but this ain't right. It doesn't even have to be about you. Just to be about, just to say, this isn't right, you know? Um, you know, and here's the thing. Because enabling is not godly and it's not holy, Therefore, it's not powerful, and it doesn't work. Godly things are powerful, and they change lives, and they work. Enabling is not powerful. It leads to weakness, and it doesn't change anybody's life. Who do you know who's an enabler? How many people know a grown son or whatever, and this parent just keeps enabling, 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 and that kid never gets better. They stay there, and meanwhile, the parents are a hamster on the wheel, doing everything to take, and they're sitting back, feet up, cigarette, watching, you know, cable. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's the mentality. And those two opposite sins, and I do believe it's a sin to be an enabler, because I feel like it is a weakness of character, and I feel like it's very ungodly. Um, and so those two weaknesses of sins usually attract each other and find each other, which I'll get into again more in the future. But, um, but what it does do is it brings your house down. So the person who, the person who didn't res- rescue the person whose house was floating down the river, they would have jeopardized their own household. You know, you people, you're not, not only are you not saving their household, but now you're jeopardizing your own. And we're not supposed to do that. I'm going to show you some, uh, 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 several ways. I've got two more examples. Matthew 25, and I have to read this to you because it's just too important. Okay, Matthew 25, 1 through 12. The kingdom of heaven will be like the ten brides, bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough oil for the lamps, but the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, which again, the kingdom of God is work, and there's a lot of times you have to wait for, wait for reward, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were aroused by the shout, look, the bridegroom is coming, come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared the lamps. The five foolish ones asked the others, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to a shop and buy some for yourself. But when they were gone to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. 
Then those who were ready went with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. Okay, this is all about boundaries. So does he say, and remember, this whole book is a book on love. So this is love. Believe it or not, this is love. The whole book is on love. God is love, and he is perfect love. So but do we say this is loving? So he says, they say, give us what's yours, and they say, no, you can't have mine. I did the wise thing. You did the unwise thing. You're going to need to, I mean, look at the boundaries. You know, it says you've been unwise, and you get to reap the consequence of your choices. I've been wise, and I get to reap the consequences of my choices. Why, are, why am I giving you my reward when you should, instead of experiencing reward, you should be experiencing a consequence? I will not reward you with my wisdom for your unwise behavior. Do you see? And, and, and here's the thing. God backed up those bridesmaids. He could have been like, well, I'll just leave the door unlocked. They can come in late. He didn't do that. He locked that door. And, he, and then they banged, and they said, please let us in. God backed them up. He said, no way. You can't come in. You are unwise. I have a boundary. I have, I have parameters. I have godly uh, 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 ways of, you know, a parameter, a, a boundary is just a door. You know, we, we couldn't live in a house without doors and walls. There are parameters. They keep us safe. They keep you know, they, and we, we, but we don't, we understand in a house, you can't have a house without a front door. One of my girlfriends, one year, she had this gorgeous beach house and it was under construction. Reagan was a brand new baby. And we go up to the, the beach house and she's like, we'll just stay in there. It's, you know, it's mostly done and blah, blah. We got there and there was no front door. And we're like on the beach and Reagan's like a tiny little, like three month old baby. And we're like, ah, oh, it's a super safe town. We slept in the house without this gorgeous, gorgeous beach house without a front door, and we were perfectly safe, but I was unnerved all night long because you're like, you need the door to be shut and locked, but we don't shut and lock the door to our own hearts and lives. That's far more precious than a house. We don't have the same parameters that are common sense because we think we're loving. Um, And man, does the Lord set up some boundaries. When you really study, don't you see it? That is, that's how you have healthy relationships. You cannot have a healthy relationship without a godly parameter and boundary. You cannot have a healthy relationship unless you say, no, I'm sorry, you are not allowed to behave that way. I had to say that to my beloved employee who I dearly love and my heart hurts every day. Every day it hurts. But I had to say, I'm sorry. That is not the way you're allowed to speak to me. You're not allowed to treat me that way. I can't be in a relationship with you. I really pray you change. My husband just met with him last night. He has not changed. Well, heartbreaking because we were hoping was we love them and my husband said you know it's not it's not healthy and we're not going to do unhealthy we've, we've wasted too many years of our life doing unhealthy we are done with that we don't do it um but but here's the here's the bottom line to that analogy um it is not the wise responsible person's job to pay the price and suffer for the fool and somehow we've written in our minds Love means the wise, responsible person goes around suffering for the fool, and that's noble, and it's godly, and it's nowhere in this book. Not anywhere in this book is it. Um, so 
God says to us, you can't be in close relationship with me if you're going to behave this way. And we say to others, you can't be in a close relationship with me. It's not like we're saying we're cutting you off. It's not like we're saying we're never going to speak to you again. But we're saying, no, you can't be, you, you know, I'll be here waiting when you're ready. Like we started at the beginning. When you're ready, I'll be here. Um, okay, my last example. But let me just say this before I move on to the next example. Look at the power of the word no. Listen, God didn't get into a long, drawn-out conversation and a whole lot of drama when they're banging on the door. He didn't go and lecture them. He didn't – he just said, no, sorry. Like, he didn't he – didn't, sometimes we just get sucked into the drama a whole new way because we feel like we have to explain ourselves. We feel like we have to justify ourselves. We feel like other people are judging us for the way we set a parameter and they think we're mean and they think we're cruel. And so we feel like we need to make everybody feel like they're good with us. And you know what? God doesn't do that. He just says, I'm gonna, the, the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. He's like, I'm not going to go and have 15 coffees with you and discuss this over, beat it over the head. And I'm just going to say, this is not going to be healthy for me and I can't do it. Lock the door. So, okay. Um, now, my final example, which I love so much, um, because we know Again, we don't want to be in any ditch. We know that God is all about helping people. And we know that God is all about us helping people. And we know that God is all about love and generosity. So again, what, you know, I'm trying to keep us out of any ditches because we don't want to become some harsh, judgmental, you know, superhero of the galaxy trying to judge everybody, you know, like looking down on where is the balance? And again, I, I pray that I'm able to represent a balanced approach because both ditches are the devil's territory. We've all known the harsh, judgmental, hypercritical, which I did talk about, that hypercritical is usually hypocritical. We all know that. And, man, that's so hurtful and so awful. And we also all know the people who are in the other ditch um, where we're just, you know, letting people run all over us. And that's hurtful and awful to everybody, not just us, but to the person we're enabling. That's very awful to them. We're allowing them to, to be this person. So, you know, this is a beautiful example of the perfect way to help. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And you guys know the story. They said, who is our neighbor? And, the, the, you know, there were the, the guy, by no fault of his own, got beat up by a bunch of robbers, and he's on the side of the road. And all the religious leaders, like two or three religious leaders, walk past, and they don't help them. They cross the other side. They don't want to be bothered. The one guy who was not a Jew, which, of course, back then, you know, the tension between Jews and Gentiles. Jews were considered righteous and Gentiles were considered unrighteous. So some unrighteous Gentile crosses to the side of the road where the person is wounded, pick, scoops them up, takes them to the nearby inn, checks them in, says, do whatever it takes to get this guy help. I will pay for it. He goes and does his business, and he comes back and he checks on the guy and makes sure he's okay before he goes home. And God says, this is the perfect example of how we are supposed to love others as we love ourselves. So what I want to talk about first is what he did not do. You know what he didn't do? He didn't say, I can't go to my job. I can't go. I've got to just stop everything and stay here and take care of this guy. He didn't say, I'm going to load him up on my donkey, turn around and take him back to my home. I know he's a total stranger. I don't know anything about him, but I'm going to bring him into my home with my wife and kids and jeopardize them. He didn't jeopardize his job. He didn't jeopardize his family. He didn't jeopardize his relationships. He had a perfect balance. He, he, he also didn't turn, turn his back and say, this isn't my problem. 
plus maybe he did something to deserve it. You know, but he didn't do any of that. He just said, I'm going to take care of you, but I'm going to have a balance. I'm not going to cancel my whole life, but I'm going to do something to help and really help. So then what he did do is absolutely everything he possibly could for the guy. He paid for it. He dropped him off. He made sure he was well cared for, but then he went and did his, did his work. I, I have to struggle with this because I do ministry and I also run a company. And so I'm trying to figure out how to juggle everything. And I have to say, um, and the hard part is what I love is my ministry. I don't, I don't love my work. I do my work because I need to, you know, but I love my ministry. And, but I have to say, I can't let it jeopardize my family. I don't want my daughter to grow up and hate my ministry work because it always took away from her. I can't let it jeopardize my marriage because I can't have my husband being like, you put them first and we're, you know, on the back burner. I can't. I can't let it jeopardize my livelihood. I have people depending on me to create jobs, and my family depends on me to bring in the income. So I have to have the balance of ministering and doing God's work with all the other responsibilities of my life. And I can't let, like, the, the, the situation be – we can't become so hyper-spiritual that we really let this stuff take over every single area of our lives and jeopardize everything. Um, so – Jesus used the Good Samaritan as the perfect example of how to help people in a healthy, godly way that has boundaries, um, and he helps them, but he does not jeopardize everything else in his life. He does it in a, in a, in a balanced way. So that is the end of my talk. Uh, for now, this is the introduction to the wow. series. <laughs> I have 10 minutes to go. Well, good. I get to pray over you guys. So, okay. Bye-bye, Spirit Rising. Love you guys. Okay. <laughs>